This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, welcome to a Digital Foundry Direct Special. Yes, we're coming to you midweek as, uh, well, we're looking at essentially one of the biggest leaks in video gaming history um, in the wake of the FTC uh, trial. It looks like a bunch of documents were uploaded and um, attached to a very <laughs> basic looking transcript PDF appeared to be about 185 megabytes worth of highly confidential data, which is completely unredacted. Um, this is a massive problem for uh, Microsoft. It doesn't just compromise their information, it compromises the information from a lot of trusted um, third-party partners. It's, it's, it's big, it's bad news, uh, but on the flip side, it does mean that there's an awful lot of material out there that, that kind of begs discussion. Um, in the wake of the reveal of this stuff, Phil Spencer tweeted that um, we've seen the conversation around old emails and documents. It is hard to see our team's work shared in this way because so much has changed and there's so much to be excited about right now. And in the future, we will share the real plans when we are ready. Um, yeah. Wow. There's a lot to go through here. And uh, joining me, first of all, uh, Oliver McKenzie. Hello. Hi, Rich. Uh, fun to talk Xbox with you today. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, Alex Batalia. Okay, so we've got Jensen's Prophecy, which is the NVIDIA GeForce Now yeah, link. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call this one. This is like the FTC blunder. What, I don't what know. What would you call Fuel's it? Fuel's personal communications. <laughs> yeah. Um, th there's a lot to this. And uh, actually, let's go straight into a question from Garten Risa. Uh, usually something big happens when Rich is going on holiday, but now it's John going on vacation. What's happening? Uh, yeah, it's a really good <laughs> question, right? I can only just... Praise the Lord that uh, that I didn't go on vacation, because if this happened when John went, I mean, we could have been looking at, I don't know, the video game <laughs> rendition of the rapture or something. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, we've got a huge amount of topics to wade through here. And um, we're not going to be going into the minutiae of um, Phil's private emails um, no. for the most part. What we are going to be talking about is um, stuff that is more in our ballpark, for example. Um, well, uh, almost exclusively their console plans, which have been laid bare. Um, the extent to which they're still real or not, uh, per e uh, Phil's uh, messaging, is up for debate, right? But we've certainly got what we can say is a snapshot, possibly taken from last year, that shows their roadmap all the way up to 2030, including mid-generation refreshes. So let's begin. So yesterday, I put out a call for questions on uh, the Digital Foundry supporter program, the idea being that it's not just our viewpoints on everything that's been uh, revealed here, but also uh, what our supporters think about it. By Well, we had like well over 100 responses to this, and by far the biggest topic that was raised, and uh, there was a universally negative reaction to it, was essentially um, the roadmap is being laid out for what must surely be the end of physical media. And um, John isn't here. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, but we can pretty much 
understand what what his viewpoint would be there's this is a preservation nightmare because you know um there's already been issues with Xbox in terms of smart delivery uh, with physical media only giving Xbox One versions of the game. Very limited releases already for Xbox Series native code. Um, I'm going to go to you first on this, Oliver. Obviously, the, the key thing that's being um, discussed here is that we've seen uh, the mid-generation refreshes for Xbox Series S and in Series X. The key thing, the key takeaway that many are, are, are sort of um, highlighting is the lack of a Blu-ray drive on the new Series X, which is apparently coming like end of next year. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> uh, I mean, they are trading off at least a little bit of storage for the inconvenience in the form of a two terabyte SSD internally. Um, and I do mostly have a digital library, but the idea of completely losing access to a disk drive is a bit of a non-starter when you consider all the older games that you want to play, especially games that have been delisted, all the physical games you can get from a friend or on rental, or even for our coverage, it's so vital sometimes to have earlier disk-based versions of, of games for us, right? Yeah. Um, and I would hope that they would ship some sort of disk drive accessory, but given that it's not in the plans at all here, uh, there's no details of any kind. I would kind of think that's a little bit unlikely. Like maybe they would mention it as like optional upgrade for pro users or something. Um, and I also found the marketing message mm -hmm. on this to be totally dire. Oh yeah. <laughs> like saying that the yeah. console is quote unquote adorably all digital. <laughs> and then they also have yeah, exactly. a, a mock internal advertisement where the user says, I don't miss my disk drive at all. Like I just think it's, it's really kind of embarrassing a little bit. Yeah. I don't I don't have any discs. I wasn't invested in the Xbox three sixty or Xbox One ecosystems. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Um it's it's really yeah. not good. Um before I come to you, Alex, a couple of support reactions. This one from in Block Capitals, agonizing rectal pain. Not a question and I don't Back. expect a response for this, but they can get for removing the Blu-ray drive. Whether there's a follow up comment, unless there's some sort of external USB drive planned, they can get <laughs> Uh, this is this is this is not this is not great. Um, aligned voxel fog says, "Sad to see no disc, <laughs> disc drive expansion. I feel if one SKU has physical media, why get rid of it completely?" Uh, this one from Tony Capecci. I'd like to see the matrix of pros and cons Microsoft put together on removing the disk drive. For me, it's purely nostalgic reasons for keeping it around. But the example hmm. I keep going back to is folk, folks overseas or deployed in military service or folks in rural areas with little to no internet. Have we finally settled on being quote unquote okay with leaving those folks behind? Is that acceptable? Should there be an optional USB disk drive add-on for these folks? Uh, this one from Ishrak Suban. Given the leaks, uh, given the leaks suggest the new Xbox Series X revision will not have a disk drive, does this mark the slow death of physical games? Will Sony and, and Microsoft follow suit? I mean, it just keeps going on. Um, do you think the leaks really do confirm Microsoft's backwards compatibility program is truly finished? Getting an enhanced version of an original Xbox or 360 disc was a main selling point for me. Suckage achieved, if true. That's from Eric Benoit. Uh, ice more butts. Hey, DF, does the news about the X dropping the disk drive close forever? Microsoft's efforts on backwards compatibility seems a shame when it's one of the unique benefits of the Xbox platform. Lots to unpack there, Alex, but uh, you know, you're a PC guy. You've basically been on digital for years now. This is just Microsoft yeah. following suit or, or, or is it as much of a big deal as our supporters are suggesting? So, I mean, if you are literally only, if you're like between the ages of 
25 and 45, maybe this is a big deal. And I mean, I mean that because like historically you're used to it. And if you only play on consoles, you're historically used to this, uh, the way the marketplace was set up back then. And uh, times have dramatically changed. And I've experienced it uh, firsthand in the PC market where the last physical game I bought on PC was in 2010. And even then it was like a number of years before. That was like one of the last ones. And I hadn't bought one even a couple of years before then. Uh, so it's been a long time for me. And the reason why it's not such a big deal on PC is because one, we have like incredible stewardship of valve, uh, doing an incredible job of even like coming on record saying like, if our company's going under, we're going to make all of our games available in some sort of form to you. If you've bought them, they've literally gone on record as saying that. And I don't, and they're such a giant and such a, you know, like, like the steward of PC gaming, uh, that Microsoft hasn't necessarily always been. Uh, where you don't feel uncomfortable with it. And you also have the fact that it is an open platform. So regardless, some modder, some hacker is going to crack a game and you're going to get that game without Star Force, De Novo, whatever, in a number of years time, most likely anyway. Or it's going to have its De Novo removed or its DRM removed at some point, like we've seen with a lot of recent releases. I think Doom Eternal was one, for example. Uh, so you have on the open PC platform, all digital isn't that big of a, a deal. In fact, finding a case, a PC case these days that actually has a DVD, Blu-ray drive, CD player, like slot, a 5.25 bay yeah. is really rare. Uh, most of them don't even have them anymore. So you have to search for those. So it tells you a lot about the PC. And the thing is, I think Microsoft's um, future, even though there's a, we're going to talk about the console later, I think it is much more, it's beyond the console. And for them, they're going to be releasing everything on PC and cloud anyway. And they presume, I think their entire Xbox is based on the idea that you play anywhere, play what you want. And that one of the Xbox is just one of those platforms and it happens to be the one that is like the simplest to set up. Uh, and, you know, it's just a lot easier for the casual player to get into. Uh, you don't have to, you know, touch settings and things like that or worry about compatibility. And I think that future that they're aligning toward they're just assuming that PC is going to be the place where all this preservation occurs, regardless of their whatever they're doing on the Xbox. And I think if you view it in that lens, if you view it through, actually all these games are already coming to PC anyway, and preservation is perfect there, uh, more or less in its current form. It could be better in some ways in terms of availability for products that you wanna buy and play in a legal capacity. Uh, but if you view PC as part of Xbox future, and an extension of it, it's actually not the worst thing that has ever happened. Right. And I think as someone as who plays PC games, I I'm not I'm not bawling over this. I'm not crying over this. Um, I like physical media to a degree, but it is not something that is integral to my game experience at all. Right. Not at all. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. I, I see where you're coming from there. Um, yeah. It's different though. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing is that we're kind of in a halfway house already. What with the smart delivery situation? I mean, John's position on this is pretty clear is that, you know, a, when a game is put onto physical, onto physical media, it is kind of like, it's like the, the insects, uh, encased in amber in Jurassic Park. You've got like a time capsule of a game when it came out, it should be fully playable. It should work. And, you know, there's also the concept that you could produce, um, 
uh, game of the year editions or full complete editions later on that roll up all of the patches and you have a physical item that nobody can take away from you right that is what has been diminished in recent years and that is what i suspect is now going to be you know going the way of the dodo um mm-hmm. i think that is actually a really bad thing uh, just on its own uh, oliver what do you think about this do you think um per uh, the, one of the questions we got here that it is going to be the case that Nintendo and Sony will follow suit? Well, in the short term, I don't think so. In the short term, I don't think so because I think what we've, what has been rumored at least about the Sony situation is they are going to continue to ship an option for users who want a disc-based console. Um, it may not be something that comes bundled in the box necessarily with every machine, but it is going to be something that's available for users, right? On the Nintendo side, mm-hmm. I mean, I suspect that the next Nintendo console will have physical media, whether it will play directly off the cartridge or whether you install it to some kind of internal SSD or micro SD, I'm not totally sure. But I think they will stick with it, especially considering that a lot of their user base, when you're talking about um, younger people, it's a lot easier to give people a game that is on a cartridge as opposed to giving them access to a credit card <laughs> and letting them go nuts. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are a little bit reticent to, to do that. So. I think in the long term, like if you asked me in 10 years, will they be abandoning it? I would say yes. If you said in the next, you know, three years, four years, I would say probably not. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, this has been, this was the number one talking point with supporters. This was just went down like a, a lead balloon. I think in terms of the competitive landscape for stores, I think that's one area where at least the PC side of things has actually achieved a solution. There are competing stores, whether you actually use them or not, whether they're actually as good as Steam or not is another question entirely. But the point is that there is choice available for the user in, a, in where they buy their games, um, which, you know, as things stand, doesn't seem to be the, the case for Microsoft and Sony. And I think especially with all of the anti-competitive um, sort of discussion surrounding the Activision purchase, uh, right. They would do well to, to head that one off at the pass. Uh, just my opinion there. Do we have anything Same. more to say about the, the end of physical media here? I think it's really quite sad. Um, but it is, well, you're, it's kind of inevitable, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is sad. And I, I, I do buy old, I buy old PC games because they're not always sold on stores, the versions necessarily. Um, and I have a case of those. But I look at like every media transition period that occurs, and there's a lot of these. And you know, it happened really intensely with, um, with I would say both film and television media, but also you know with music, especially. And there's been semi solutions there. Whether or not they're fair to the artists in question is another question entirely. Like, is Spotify fair to the artists playing the games? But you do have really easily accessible music these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's about easing accessibility and maintaining some level of ownership at the same time would be the so- solution to solve for console video gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe multiple stores on one console would be a way to do that, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next point. So this one goes hand in hand with the concept of the removal of physical media, and it is essentially a look at the mid-generation refreshes for the Xbox Series S and the Xbox Series X. And um, yeah, essentially the Series S, um, there's not much seemingly happening to it. 
the physical form factor, the ID, as, as Microsoft likes to call it, that's going to be um, basically the same. There's going to be some minor revisions to the South Bridge, which is kind of an interesting point to, to, to raise. But I do believe the South Bridge is pretty much identical to the one in Xbox One. So maybe that could be, could have used a refresh. They're going to be moving to six nanometer silicon from the current seven nanometer. And um, standby power is going to be reduced. Uh, there's going to be better um, uh, recycling on, on packaging for the Series S. Um, and they're talking about even more customer value. They're going to be moving up the uh, internal SSD uh, to one terabyte, but they're keeping the price. Um, looking at the Series X, uh, we're getting a completely new form factor here. It's a kind of cylindrical device. So um, I'd be interested to see how they're going to be dealing with the horizontal uh, sort of situation. <laughs> How are you going to use this console? Just rolls. <laughs> Again, it's looking like it's the same sort of performance level. Again, there's going to be the uh, reduction to the six nanometer node, uh, improved Wi-Fi, um, various small changes. Uh, this is where we get the adorably all digital thing. I can't imagine a marketeer actually did this because that is so... Uh, it, it it it's not great. Um, yeah, similarly, same great price, four hundred and ninety nine dollars. Um, this is pretty much well. Here's an interesting question, actually, because um, there's there's confusion from from users, I think, and um, this one from Dominic Delulo. Just to be clear, these are slim models of the current consoles, right? Many headlines called this a mid-gen refresh, which to me implies an increase to the console's power. I think you've got your implications wrong there, Dominic, because a refresh is a refresh. It's taking something that exists and basically, mm -hmm. you know, just refreshing it. You know, I think you're kind of confusing the concept of uh, pro consoles with that. I think that's probably important just to get that out in the open. A mid-generation refresh, it's like, you know, a PS4 Slim. That's a mid-generation refresh. Exactly the same as the previous model, but just smaller, refreshed, uh, more efficient. This is kind of exactly the kind of territory we're looking for here. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Oliver? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very categorically in the in the category of a refresh it's not a pro console it's not an enhanced console it's a console with you know a, a very modest uh, die shrink in this case uh, new external housing you know actually the first thing that really struck out stuck out to me as someone who owned a 2013 mac pro is how much this resembles it um yeah. the, the xbox mm -hmm. series x already had a very similar thermal design to a mac pro an older mac pro this actually looks quite a bit like it um and I don't know, I think it looks cool, sort of looks cool, but it, it seems impossible to stack anything on it. So I'm not a fan of that at all, because it just seems like a, a mess in a crowded home theater setup. Um, right. On the silicon mm. side, it doesn't seem that interesting. It suggests it's going to be a six nanometer shrink uh, of the existing Project Scarlet Silicon. Uh, six nanometer, it's a progression of the N7 process that was used for the existing consoles. And it basically is like N7 plus uh, extreme ultraviolet lithography for a few metal layers, which gets them to like, a, I think, a roughly a 15% decrease in area and maybe a comparable decrease in power. Notably, I think we've seen this in the PlayStation 5 consoles since uh, last year, late last year. They've had a six nanometer shrink. And so this is going to be <laughs> two years later, I think, than the PlayStation. And uh, yeah. and also I think the elephant in the room really with this discussion, to me at least, looking over these plans and also seeing that there was a specific uh, mention actually in Phil uh, Spencer's 
uh, testimony that they weren't going to do a Generation 9.5 console, so he explicitly told the FTC they weren't going to do it. And then obviously in these plans, there's nothing in there. Uh, is there's going to be no pro machine by every single indication there's going to be no pro machine this generation so microsoft yeah. is not going to have a direct competitor in terms of performance with the playstation 5 pro or whatever they end up calling it yeah assuming it's real but i, su I suspect at this point it is yeah your thoughts on this one alex uh yeah i guess it is a bit i do wonder why they're only uh being so timid with just the six nanometer die shrink instead of going to something uh, more up to date by that time period, and I'm wondering if it is a bit just actually about cost. Yeah. Um, who knows how competitive the slots are for having like that die be fabricated actually at that size? Uh, who they're competing with? They'll probably be competing with Sony. They're probably competing with all these other uh, large um, tech companies at that point. So maybe it is just purely about yeah, we want to save a bit of money there. Uh, but it is a little de depressing to see that same great price, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which at that point in time, which at that point in time, it's going to have been that same great price for half of the projected console generation when this thing will be releasing, maybe yeah. longer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So which is completely stagnant hardware price, uh, which is somewhat reflected in the PC space for GPUs at this point in time. Uh, like similarly, like you're paying, you're paying, you're getting more features on PC these days when you buy a GPU, but the, the price performance is super flat in a lot of areas. So seeing it in the console side is like, oh, this is new. <laughs> we, we haven't seen that other than if you buy Nintendo stuff, which is also just usually more or less the same price with the switch for a long time. now. Yeah. I mean, so depressing. Mm, yeah. I, <laughs> depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of, well, I, I would say more ambivalent about it. I mean, when we went to see Microsoft in 2020, they literally said, we can't make a slim place, uh, a, a slim series X. We just can't do a mid generation refresh for the series X that will be, uh, you know, enable us to lower prices. And lo and behold, this is exactly what we're getting, right? This is this is stuff we were told in 2020 coming true in 2023 slash 24. Seemingly, they cannot cost reduce the Series X. Well, they can. They've removed the optical drive. I'd expect that the six nanometer silicon would be marginally cheaper. But, you know, the question is, Microsoft has never said that they've actually broke even on Series X as a console or even Series S. I mean, they aggressively right. discount that at, at key points. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is whether they can actually afford to make a cheaper Xbox. And um, by the by the basis of what we're seeing here, particularly with the Brooklyn Series X refresh, it looks as though you they can't for whatever reason, right? And you're quite right in terms of the timidity on the process node, six nanometer. Mm -hmm. It must be for economic reasons. I mean, they've got access to five nanometer, four nanometer, the latest AMD chips, you know, in the ROG Ally, stuff like that, you know, the whole Phoenix line. Uh, I think that's a, a four nanometer part. Um, for whatever reason, Microsoft are opting not to use those um, those more refined processes that would actually give you much more power efficiency and would actually open the door potentially to a smaller console. They've decided to be quite conservative on that. And um, in terms of what Phil was saying earlier, uh, saying in his tweet about um, uh, you know the real plans. I just really hope that the real plan actually includes some sort of cost reduction. And I think the market is going to dictate that they're going to need to do something on that simply because, well, the price cuts that we've seen on PlayStation 5 over the summer have been tremendous. Mm -hmm. right? I've, 
I actually bought the new uh, PlayStation, the 1200, uh, CFI 1200 series, because uh, we're going to need it, first of all, for comparison purposes when the Slim, assuming it is a Slim and assuming it actually exists, does appear. Right. right? Um, and that is definitely using a six nanometer part and has done since the end of last year. Um, but the point is that, yes, we're seeing a massive cost reduction there. Microsoft kind of has to do something. On the flip side, though, there isn't any such thing as a free lunch when it comes to semiconductors and console design. And I can't help but wonder whether these um, overly aggressive increases to the price of the PlayStation uh, Plus subscription are essentially paying for these cheaper right. consoles. Um, mm -hmm. And the thing that worries me and sort of uh, annoys me about that is the fact that all PlayStation users need to be paying potentially for Sony's um, uh, expansion plans. But it seems to be working, right? You, that's, that seems to be the crazy thing. You know, there's been a lot of PlayStation 5 sold, and I'm assuming that a great deal of them will convert onto PlayStation uh, Plus subscribe subscriptions. So that's kind of the way it's been done there. Um, I don't know. You know, we've got more uh, supporter questions there. I mean, this one from Concrete Llama. I don't think it's mentioned in the leaks, but do you think these new consoles might sneak in some minor performance improvements, particularly the Series S? Series S, it looks to be exactly the same. They're talking about the same teraflop um, GPU compute levels, which suggests it's the same silicon, right? Um, I would have liked to have seen some like quality of life improvements um, with the, you know, you could possibly get with a revision of the silicon. We saw that with Xbox One S, but I guess there's not really any need for it this time around. I don't know. Would, would you like to have seen anything new with these consoles, Oliver? I would have loved to have seen it, but again, that's can involve some potential redesign of the chip that would be expensive. Just shrinking down to six nanometer, they use the same uh, design libraries, I believe. So it's very cheap, relatively speaking, relative to other right. shrinks that you would have seen. Um, I actually found a little bit, it's one thing a little bit funny because I think that these consoles were probably planned in an environment where Microsoft felt like they might have had the performance advantage over PlayStation 5. There's one email exchange between Phil Spencer, uh, some executives, and someone named uh, Liz Hammerin, a former Microsoft executive, where she says that they expect that they'll have a 30% advantage on GPU performance and a 25% memory bandwidth advantage in terms of real-world performance with the Series X relative to the PS5. Um, and I think yeah. this generation, what we've seen much more often is that the two consoles are evenly matched. I feel like even as the generation has progressed, they've become a little bit more even. Like earlier on, we saw games like Hitman 3, but nowadays with games, especially with dynamic res, you, it's almost exactly the same experience on both consoles. So I think it, on paper, they're probably thinking, yeah, you know, even if Sony does an enhanced machine, probably we have the Silicon Edge. We're aiming for a higher teraflop number, and the PS5 is maybe limited to some degree by the need uh, to have a variable clock rate in the GPU. But in practice, the PS5 Pro might have, you know, an effective, I mean, hypothetical PS5 Pro, of course, it's not confirmed, but it might have functionally roughly twice the graphics performance of a Series X, which is probably something they weren't yeah. anticipating, right? Uh, the real world performance, I suspect that might be true. I mean, if you look at something like the 7800 XT, which is a 60 compute unit part, which is similar to what is being mooted for PlayStation 5, basically takes you up to like 30, 80 level performance, right? Which is a significant bump over what the consoles are doing at the moment. Add in some, um, you know, first party or or, or or specific optimization magic. I think it's probably going to do some, you know, be significantly better than the current machines. Um, yeah, the, the, the reaction to the PlayStation 5 reveal, this is quite interesting. 
because on paper Microsoft had a massive advantage, um, you know, memory bandwidth, GPU compute. If they're talking about a projected thirty percent lead, it hasn't materialized. The question is why, and I don't think we've still got a proper sort of answer to that question. Um, I do remember back in the day that we never, I mean, Will did a quick article that compared the spec of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. We never did a video about it, even though, you know, obviously it's like, I don't know, million views <laughs> on the table there. We just never picked up. And the reason why is fairly straightforward, right? Because um, the reveals came out. Microsoft clearly had the stronger silicon. But what was happening behind the scenes is that developers were telling us they're really happy with the PlayStation 5, but they're having issues with Xbox. And um, that said to me that maybe we shouldn't be doing this video and we should be letting the games do the talking, which I think in retrospect was the right call. Um, but this power advantage never seemed to really materialize. A lot of that possibly would have been, um, uh, it just vanished in dynamic resolution upscaling that is very difficult to tell apart one from the other. But on the other side, there are certain wins that are happening with PlayStation 5. For example, um, you know, improved ray tracing quality in Callisto mm -hmm. protocol. Uh, that just doesn't really make sense. The uh, Series X should be wiping the floor with the PlayStation 5 in RT performance, but for some reason it hasn't happened. Uh, so it's quite interesting to look back on that reaction where you look at the silicon on an apples to apples level and it actually looks as though um, Microsoft did go into the generation with Series X um, at the forefront. But the reality of the software just doesn't seem to have materialized in that fashion. Thoughts, Alex? I'm curious about your thought on this, because if you look at the I specification, was. right, it looks like comparing, I don't know, a seven, you know, I don't know, something like a... Um, uh, yeah. you know, two generations of, of, of GPUs and one should always be faster than the other. This is what it looks like to me on paper. And, you know, I, have, I play PC games all day uh, when I do have time to play games. And, you know, I've, I've dealt a lot in the past where we, you know, you just look at, I think like there's been a number of times where we see PC games and they're just like really underperforming. And you just kind of think like, why is this the case? Like, what what's going on here? Like, why is this the case? And then the like, patches come out and they improve performance or they don't come out and you just never get anything better. And I always feel like there is a lot of market dominant dominance here that if you really want your game to do really well, I think it may, it is very prudent for a developer to really focus on that PlayStation five version, right? Get that one really core. That's where a huge audience is at, and you know pc xbox whatever other versions you're shipping may not get as much time and i think that is a very reasonable market-driven decision uh if it is one and i think that's really what we tend to see bear out and pc releases at least quite often it's why i complain a lot in videos at times about pc releases where it's like a lot of things on pc are really afterthoughts uh even though you could have really good versions there too and I think that spills over a bit into the Xbox uh, side of things where we've seen just like totally bizarre things at launch, like uh, Callisto Protocol is another really great one where like at launch it was way worse and then it got some patches and it got better, but then it still never got like the the level of parity with that PlayStation 5 version that it could have gotten. And I think there's some other things in there too with the fact that you can just run straight DirectX on, um, you know, Xbox like straight DirectX 12 
without much care for lower level console optimizations like for example using offline bvh or using like custom bvh or using you know tons of different like because all the all the ray tracing hardware is fully programmable uh all the since it is so compute based on xbox and that's something that you don't get on pc at all and if you're not taking advantage of those kind of things on xbox but instead running more pc like code there well then yeah you're definitely not going to see any of the advantages you get from uh coding to one specific bit of hardware like you're almost kind of forced to do when you run a playstation 5 version because you're not running DirectX there anyway so um i feel like there's a lot of reasons for it and it definitely didn't help in the beginning of the generation where we all of us all three of us independently heard from different developers yeah the software side of things on mac uh for microsoft on xbox series x was kind of a mess and um that didn't help at all either and i think as that got better um we saw a lot less of those issues popping up like i think uh control is an interesting example of well who knows what that really represents but it ran better with system updates outside of the game's control <laughs> uh, outside of the game's real updates at some point who was actually responsible for the issues and performances entirely different question but the fact that it could happen says that whoa the software on the xbox side can be improved in some way mm. so yeah a lot of reasons for it i still think it is a bit sad that advantages in hardware just disappeared dynamic resolution uh because real like on the pc side of thing i would never say run a game at slightly higher resolutions <laughs> i would say oh turn up the shadows i would say turn up the shadows use that compute for something else and but obviously that doesn't align with a lot of qa it doesn't align with a lot of development to just get a game out there and get your money back so yeah, yeah. And I, I would also mm -hmm. say that even with dynamic resolution like when i do cross-platform testing um it is it is very it, it's it's not it's not common i wouldn't say it's very rare but it's it's not common these days to see either the playstation 5 or xbox series x with a meaningful internal resolution difference like there were some games i have tested that did have a meaningful resolution difference in favor of one platform but it is so frequent that the two consoles it's like my conclusion at the end of the video to the you know to the detriment of all the console warriors is like these are two very similar experiences right <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's important to, to, yeah. to make a note of as well that like even in like totally academic testing where we're counting many frames uh, in, an, in an environment that no user would ever, ever see the game, right? Which is, you know, moving the camera like crazy, looking at raw pixel edges. Even then, sometimes it's it's very hard to tell the difference. I have to stress that. Yep. Right. Especially when you're in a living room environment with some distance between yourself and the screen. It's it's a we we're a ways ahead of um or yes it's a completely different scenario to the PS4 Pro versus Xbox One X, where there were meaningful mm -hmm. changes across the board on so many different games, so that power advantage didn't really materialize into anything for a whole number of reasons, and we have this situation now where um it's broadly parity between the two machines, even though you know GPU teraflops are quite different. And again, you know, if I was Microsoft, I, I would be asking serious questions as to why that is the case, because um, it, you know, we've got like a on the seven nanometer side, it was a 360 meter, millimeter square chip for Series X, 320 on mm -hmm. PS5. That's a lot of extra transistors that are just, you know, not being meaning, meaningfully utilized seemingly. 
Um, yeah. Just want to quickly round off this topic with a question from Josh. How can Microsoft justify the price staying the same when they likely put in a cheaper cooler with it having a more efficient CPU and no disk drive? Also, with how cheap SSDs are, two terabytes is still way cheaper than the one terabyte when the console initially launched. And he's right. It, I think he's got right. a really good point there. The issue is I just think that the Series X in particular is an incredibly uh, expensive machine to make that we probably just don't realize just how expensive it is and how it was, especially in 2020. And it's all about recouping costs. I suspect maybe this is part of the plan that will change or it's the, simply the case that it can't change just to make the economics make sense. But um, yeah, um, that was probably the thing that sort of the biggest disappointment was basically that you're not getting any any sort of meaningful improvement, but you're also not getting a price cut either, and you're losing the optical drive on the X model. That's uh, quote unquote not great. Um, but, but let's move on to the next topic. So another part of the leak that emerged was the existence of a brand new controller, which uh, if the timelines uh, are correct, uh, we should be seeing that actually this year. And it actually looks like a really interesting evolution of the existing controller, which I have to say, even without some of the extra functionality being mooted, it's, it is my favorite controller at the moment. Um, Oliver, you've taken a look at this. What do you think about this new controller? I think it looks, I mean, I, I frankly, I think it's very cool. Uh, it's got like precision yeah. haptic feedback, which would presumably be similar to what we see in the PlayStation 5 DualSense controller. It's got an accelerometer and there's mention of quieter buttons and thumbsticks, uh, modular thumbsticks. It sounds like the battery isn't a AA compartment anymore, but is instead some kind of rechargeable battery pack, but one that's removable. So that should do well for preservation of hardware. Um, and I think it looks really cool. The only, the only caveat is that it sounds like the Sebile controller, which is what they're calling it, is still a little bit up for discussion within Microsoft and that potentially some of the controller's features could be reduced because they have this concept internally, which is called Fairhaven, which is presumably the um, refresh branding. I think that's their internal code name for the refreshes. And they say that not all of the mm -hmm. Sebile features are necessarily going to be delivered in the final product, but that the product is approved within Microsoft. So some of the more interesting features like direct cloud interfacing, maybe those won't show up in the final product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, direct to cloud is quite interesting because um, it will reduce latency, right? And the idea is similar to what we saw with Stadia that the um, your your client hardware would be talking to the cloud, but separately, uh, the controller would have its own direct connection to the cloud. Um, and so, in theory, the uh, the inputs or, uh, should be getting to the server a lot a lot faster. Uh, so that kind mm -hmm. of makes sense, I guess, if they're um, fully sort of invested in the cloud going forward. And it looks like they are from this document, but I think that might be one thing that's that's possibly dated on that. Um, but anyway, yeah, it looks like a really interesting controller. Um, I also like the idea that it would be plumbed into the PC ecosystem. So you'd think that um, there would be standardization on stuff on the PC side for the haptics and the accelero accelerometer. Yeah, that'd be nice. Which I don't think is the case at the moment, Alex. It's not. No, it's all based on the DualSense and or, I guess, um, if you're kind of into the Steam controller stuff that existed in the past, getting that like those sticks going working there for games like in a user approach you can customize those if you want i i look at this and i ask the question that i think a lot of people in the audience always ask about these sony microsoft switch controllers where are the hall effects sticks 
Where are the Hall Effect sticks? Everyone wants them. Uh, It's super old technology at this point in time, and it it increases longevity and precision over time of sticks, uh, demonstrably so. And yet, I mean, they say new modular sound sticks improve longevity, continue to build improvements. We don't know what that really means, so who knows? Uh, Maybe this is actually part of there, but I look at it and I think, what about that? Um, But I guess uh, one of the things that the haptic feedback will be great for is that for people who will enjoy that thing, I don't. But for people who will enjoy it, the experience with DualSense on PC is less than awesome because not every game is programming against it. Not every game has it. And it's definitely not going to be happening for a majority of games over over wireless connection. It usually requires... I think in like 90% of cases, it requires actually the game to be plugged in to your PC with the drive, with the USB, um, uh, I want to say dongle, USB cable, because there is no general DualSense driver for Windows from Sony. So this would put Microsoft in control of those things. And it's like we know for X input, Xbox 360, it is like the best way to like some of the best ways historically to do like controllers on PC. So... Yeah, that's exciting for those people who like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it looks really interesting. It seems that there are a lot of features that they've kind of backported, if you like, from the Elite series of controllers, which makes you wonder what's going to happen with the Elite series of controllers. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting design. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it and having all of this stuff kind of standardized into a, into a you know, the, the standard controller is pretty cool. Might also see some interesting um, patches uh, made available for older titles to make use of these features, uh, which which would be fantastic. It'd be great to see some of those DualSense implementations uh, sort of brought back for, uh, to older titles via patch updates. I'm not sure they're talking about resistive triggers on this, which is what the DualSense has, but I have to say that's the part of the um, of the DualSense that I act- actively dislike. I just don't like the way it's implemented. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why make it harder yeah. to, to shoot your gun? Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like yeah. my. It's definitely my anti. I always yeah. turned it off in every also game. Also, the uh, the <laughs> Xbox controllers have those vibration triggers, which I actually find for some games, like racing games, give a very useful level of additional feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, right? So yeah, I'll be quite interested to see how this all pans out and whether it will actually be arriving this year and to what extent it matches the original vision here, because you know. Uh, as Phil has said, this is kind of like old data, old information. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see whether it does actually come to pass. But let's move on to the next topic. So this is a big one. And wow, where do we begin? Basically, the leak included a roadmap from Microsoft uh, where they intend to achieve market leadership in gaming by 2030. One of the reasons, or rather one of the things that are going to be doing in order to achieve this. They're fully invested into Gen 10. There will be a 10th generation console. There won't be an enhanced version of Gen 9. We know that now. And um, we've got some initial details uh, of their vision. In fact, I'm going to read out what what their vision is for the the new console uh, as it is presented in this document. It's to develop a next generation hybrid game platform capable of leveraging the combined power of the client and cloud to deliver deeper immersion and entirely new classes of game experiences. Optimized for real-time gameplay and creators, we will enable new levels of performance beyond the capabilities of the client hardware uh, alone. And then underneath that, 
they have got their strategic key, their key strategic uh, decisions and investments, very thin um, on the ground in terms of details. Um, Oliver, thoughts on this? What do you think of the vision, first of all? Well, the vision, <laughs> I have to say, I'm not a fan of the vision. We've, we've heard it all before. We've heard it all before. And I don't think that the cloud is a new idea in gaming. And I think even in the cases where we've seen like a really meaningfully cloud-centric platform like the Stadia, there were a few interesting concepts like with interaction with like live streamers and things like this that look sort of interesting. Yeah. But we never saw them mm -hmm. and they kind of looked like gimmicks. Like you'd try it once or twice. It wouldn't really meaningfully change the experience. So in terms of the actual concept, and I know the cloud is such a huge thing that people are pushing now, I don't see the value add. I just, I, I, I don't see it. I look, I look through this. I, I don't see the value out of a really cloud-centric pitch, especially if it's being combined still with client hardware that's going to be in the user's home, which from this document I would suggest is true. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of the actual, mm -hmm. actual silicon, some of the things they suggest are more interesting. On the CPU side, they suggest a choice between a next-gen ARM processor and Zen 6, which is you know probably at least a few years from now. They mentioned the ARM choice needs to be made soon, so judging by this timeline, it would have already been made um, by this point as we're speaking now. And they want a big little design, which is something ARM has done for a long time, but I think AMD is doing one soon. I'm still a little bit, I, I, I don't understand it. Maybe I'm just wrong. I, I don't understand it. I don't really totally understand why they have such an emphasis on big dot little designs because consoles are relatively power hungry and the CPUs is a very small part of that. I mean, maybe they could just be used for the OS. But the, the other aspect of it that's a little bit more befuddling to me is the ARM choice. Right now, there aren't any ARM off-the-shelf processors that you could that you could uh, license from ARM or from Qualcomm that have a similar performance level to the desktop um, chips that we would see in most PCs. Apple makes very performant ARM cores, very large ARM cores, very complex ARM cores. No one else is. Now, maybe that changes in a few years, but even when you're looking at something like Zen 6, that's also going to be considerably improved from Zen 4. So I think that the x86 choice there would presumably be a more powerful option and also could potentially have backwards compatibility. Now in this sheet, they don't mention backwards compatibility. They only mention forwards compatibility. So who knows? But I just, I, I found that a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. Like why wouldn't you just stick with x86? I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, obviously there are tentative specs here, Alex. What are your thoughts on them? So I just want to mention for the vision, um, I was, I'm obviously skeptical of cloud junk as it was presented uh, 10 years ago, but in, it's going to have been 15 years since then by the time this thing comes out and the rapid progress of AI with cloud-based decision-making and cloud things. They mentioned in, the, in a later sheet um, a bunch of the goals next-gen gaming powered by AI and ML, little sheet there with like five columns on it. And those things that they mentioned there are actually a bit more, you can, I can feel them a bit more as seeing like why they would be useful. NLP dialogue generation, there was the recent presentation about NVIDIA. Yeah. Yes, it's a bit ham-fisted, but the idea is literally when I was just talking with uh, Jakob Knopik and Brian Catazzaro, they both mentioned this and Jakob said it and he was a person who literally works on massive RPG games. And he's saying, this is something very real. And I actually see that as, as a powerful benefit to a game, the ability to, we can't program every single thing that you're doing in the game and program reactions to it for side content. 
but we can have some of that side content be enriched through cloud-based uh, interactions with AI. I feel that is actually pretty realistic and would be good. And a couple of these other things, I don't care about monetization improvement. I probably know what that's about. But like things like AI game testing and you know AI agents, and I feel like that like that could be really powerfully you know well-made things presuming that they have content these are real things that they can actually make content for to back them up they're a bit pie in the sky right now because we haven't seen them so much in games yet but it does seem like the trajectory a lot of things are going to be going in five years uh for really big triple a games and to make that to make them easier to make and make them come out more often instead of every six to seven years like we're going to see with grand theft auto or whatever so those things i think are positive regarding the hardware uh is so this is i have no idea this is this is so crazy <laughs> all i saw uh i can't speak so much so to the hardware like oliver can but when i did look at the graphics innovation slide as well as the graphics pillar in in the last in the last slide i was just talking about under game performance the interesting thing about all those things there are is it looks like nvidia technology from about years five ago. to six years <laughs> ago and and also but there's a couple newer ones there too because obviously they mentioned frame generation there under frame rate interpolation. And it's like, by the time this slide existed, the only person who was really serious about this and openly serious about it was NVIDIA, which is curious. Also, a lot of these other things here are things that NVIDIA has been just straight on top of since 2018 and only increased how on top of, you know, how much they're investing in it since then. Next-gen DirectX ray tracing. Yeah, we know that's NVIDIA's ball court. Dynamic global illumination. How many AMD-sponsored games have dynamic global illumination? Micropolygon rendering optimizations is interesting because, one, we see uh, mesh shaders being brought about by Turing. It's part of the DirectX, uh, Direct DirectX 12 ultimate spec, currently not used in a lot of titles at all. Uh, Micropolygon rendering, though, we've seen through compute with Nanite. Obviously, you can do similar things with mesh shading, but there's another interesting technology brought about with Ada Lovelace hardware called DMM, uh, which is displaced micro meshes is what they're called. And it's essentially a new um, format for doing smaller than triangle pixels in both ray tracing and rasterization. And it hasn't been picked up in anything yet, obviously. I don't think it's been used in any game. It might be used in Omniverse. It might be used for offline rendering, but seeing some... These things that all sound like NVIDIA technologies being brought up on this Xbox sheet are just like so curious to me. Like we don't have any, like there's like almost zero visibility, ML-based super resolution. We know that AMD has nothing there at the moment. And, and you know, when we when people talk about it, they're very much so focused on the hand-tuned compute future that is open and useful for everyone and every hardware, et cetera. So a lot of these things here are just not AMD's ball court. Mm. And it's really curious to see them on this slide. I mean, it's five years in the future, I guess now. So who knows what AMD could maybe be doing then? But it's it would be like there's a there's someone who's been doing these things and has this infrastructure all built up already and all their resources and they already have the brain trust and that's Nvidia and to see them show up, uh, the, those technologies show up in this slide is just like, what's going on here? I don't know, Rich. What do you think about that? Um. <laughs> 
Hmm. Well, first of all, there's an interesting divergence here in that they're talking about an MPU, which sounds like a sort of more of an Apple-like design where you have an AI block on the SOC that's separate from the GPU. That's right, isn't it, Oliver? Yeah, yeah, like a neural processing yeah. unit, I think is probably the acronym there. Yeah, whereas NVIDIA's approach is essentially to embed the AI cores within within the whole GPU, right? GPU. It's, it's completely integrated. I suspect that would probably have um, advantages there. Uh, I don't know. Um, in terms of the overall vision here, um, when you start talking about cohesive hybrid compute, I just can't help but think of uh, the Starfield launch where we had basically um, massive concurrency of people playing the game simultaneously. I think it was like up to a million users at, at one point. Maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, certainly it was um, in the early access period, it was at least 200,000 people on Steam, I think. Alone, mm, alone playing Starfield, how can you produce a um, a hybrid compute game if you've got two hundred thousand people simultaneously hammering your cloud service? Right, this is a logistical challenge that I I don't see how you can overcome it. Right, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we've also this whole concept of having the cloud uh, more directly interface with the console. Microsoft has tried it already with Crackdown. Um, <laughs> And there's some footage from IGN, which I'm sure we can put, we can put in, which kind of shows some really impressive destruction physics happening. Looks really, really good. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, it was going to be coming for the Xbox One generation, but it never did. Why? Maybe it's the fact that, you know, all of those logistical challenges are just too high, but Microsoft seems to be doubling down on this. In terms of the uh, silicon, it, it seems to be... Um, essentially a sort of grab bag of stuff from the AMD roadmap. Um, you know, I'm sure it would be a really good console, you know, Zen 6, uh, fifth generation Navi. We're on third now. If you assume um, new Navis every couple of years, that kind of takes us up to, what, 2027? Um, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. They certainly seem to be talking about the right things in terms of uh, visual enhancements and the importance of um, ray tracing and machine learning. But you're right, Alex. I mean, when you look at the uh, next generation gaming powered by AI and ML, um, those first two columns, uh, certainly the first column, is what's happening in the PC space right now. Super resolution, deep neural network, DLSS2. Frame rate interpolation, DLSS3 frame generation. xCloud latency compensation, reflex. Um, <laughs> it's it's all there now, right? And I think if you're planning a console for release in 2028, you need to be more radical. You need to be more at the cutting edge. Um, and dare I say it, you've got to be talking to NVIDIA because these are the guys at the forefront of all of this. It kind of, if, if they're going to stick with AMD and they're not going to say license DLSS or, or DLSS technologies, um, then essentially you're you're in lockstep with AMD, right? And AMD are years behind NVIDIA on this stuff at the moment, years behind. And I honestly think it makes sense for Microsoft to be thinking more about the overall Xbox ecosystem, where a lot of it is going to be PC-based. It's happening now and it'll be even more prevalent by then, where, you know, there's cutting edge stuff happening on the uh, on the PC side that can't happen on console because we're locked in with, you know, hardware that was designed originally sort of 2016 to 2017. 
And um, yeah, that's that's kind of my concern about that. All of the stuff like AI agents, you know, I guess that all comes from just utilization of the MPU block, which, you know, fair mm -hmm. enough. But, you know, would AMD do uh, DLSS ray, ray reconstruction or a technology similar to that? Um, it's kind of like they get sort of pushed um, kicking and screaming into feature parity with NVIDIA and it arrives later and usually it's not as good. Is this yeah, is this really where you want your console to be? I I would be realigning with um uh, with PC. Uh -huh. That would be if I was sort of had a vision for the future of a console. It's it's ironic, isn't it, Alex? Because if we go back to the past, it was the consoles that had the kind of exotic and bespoke features, um, and right. PC was kind of more homogenized. These days, it's the other way around. All of the cutting edge stuff. Um, you know, the custom hardware, it's all happening on PC and it's happening on PC years ahead of consoles. It's, it's quite yeah. fascinating to see that. It's interesting. I also think just like if you wanted to differentiate yourself from the competition at this point, uh, staying with AMD for the GPU design and I don't know, the CPU is a whole other question, but for the GPU design, because you have to stick there because you want the SOC, you want those power and uh, manufacturing savings there. You don't want to do like the original Xbox, separate GPU, separate uh, CPU at that point in time. Uh, you That's why you're doing it. But at the same time, this grab bag that you talked about, Rich, of things coming presumably from far down the pipeline from AMD, you know who's also going to have that exact same grab bag of stuff? Absolutely. It's Sony's, and you're going to get the situation where they already have the market share anyway, and they're going to be designing very similar things from the exact same manufacturer. Like you're just putting out like a slightly similar, slightly different box yeah. than what they're doing. If you're using the exact same tech and that's, it's pretty boring. Um, and it's not exciting. Uh, I don't know. Oliver. Yeah. What do you think? So I, I just wanted to follow up on a couple things first. Uh, the silicon totally is like you look at this roadmap and it does totally look like just what NVIDIA was doing four or five years ago. It's it's kind of remarkable <laughs> in that respect. It's not very future looking like it's all stuff you could have written on the back of a notepad before the current gen consoles launched. It's not really showing any, I think, leadership in that space. That's a concern to me. I, I totally agree with you, Alex, on the AI and ML stuff, how important that will be for future games. Obviously, I'm a big believer in that. Um, running it, th running yeah, it through the are. cloud yeah. is is a very good idea because then you're not you don't have to spare extra memory on it even if it could run on the M npu running a big llm in memory on a console i don't think that's going to happen when you're running a game as well so there are lots of good reasons to do it um i was more just thinking in terms of the overall cloud like various cloud yeah. concepts that's not interesting but ai for sure <laughs> i'm very interested in um and yeah, then yeah. in terms of the console discussion uh if i was to sketch out a, a, a next gen console that would be really really exciting to me right something that would actually really really excite me i would love to see a next gen console a full-on nvidia partnership possibly with backwards compatibility only provided through a cloud service which i think microsoft would be in a good position to deliver mm -hmm. at that point actually and potentially they're not even going to ship backwards compatibility judging from their sheet anyways so i'd love to see what yeah, a console what? maker could do with a fast nvidia gpu at 200 watts recent nvidia tech and i think the future is probably defined a lot more by having really good ai inference hardware having great ray tracing um i think that's that's probably going to be a very key part of of next generation technologies for gaming and frankly i'm just i even if an amd catches up i think nvidia is still going to have like a four or five year 
head start on them and all these technologies and they're going to be further ahead of the curve right that's my concern mm. yeah yeah it's interesting right because you know the roadmap says to me that um we're going to produce a box that sony could produce again yeah and um that's just not really going to shift the needle meanwhile there is this big strategy to align closer to pc and you know the reality is nvidia has like 80 percent market share in the gpu market and they're basically defining uh, uh they yeah they're defining the future of pc graphics at the moment you know alan wake and cyberpunk coming out they're going to be massively transformed uh compared to to the sort of standard versions that you would play on consoles and i think that's something that they've got to, to buy into there's also going to be the fact that um well switch 2 will be on nvidia as well so you know how do you how do you how do you differentiate against Sony? How do you more closely align with the best of the best in PC, which is crucial to the future of of the Xbox platform? And um, the answer is to be much more radical in the design of your console. And in terms of whether you know the experiences that we're seeing with DLSS three point five, it's interesting that you know Nvidia continues to market using forty ninety. Uh, which I can see why they're doing it, because you get the best visual uh, results and the best performance numbers on those big frame rate graphs that appear. But, you know, this stuff is eminently scalable. It does work yeah. on, on smaller uh, slabs of silicon. My advice to Microsoft would be think radical, right? Think big. Um, think about how you can actually sort of get some sort of edge over Sony. And I just don't think another box you know, based on a similar principle to what happened with Series X is, is going to cut the mustard, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting mm -hmm. thing, though. Um, there's an interesting question here from Fiddler underscore 2K. If Microsoft ultimately takes the ARM64 route for their next generation platform rather than x86, what could this mean for backwards compatibility? And you've sort of positioned the notion that it could all be moved onto the cloud there, Oliver. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can understate the um, capabilities of the compatibility team. They've already managed to get PowerPC titles running on an x86 processor. Right. Possibly there could be routes forward on that as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've yeah. seen, you know, obviously we've seen what um, Apple has done uh, with Rosetta. Uh, Rosetta. That's yeah. quite, yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff. So I don't think it completely rules out backwards compatibility. It does make it more challenging, though, yeah. but I think Microsoft are kind of up to the task. I think one question there, too, is just how fast are those individual ARM cores? Because if they are comparably yep. fast or, or significantly faster than Zen 2, I imagine they could do it. But right now you look at the ARM landscape and they're not even, they're like, you know, two thirds the IPC of Apple cores. They're not really in the same ballpark as Zen 2 at the moment. So I think they mm -hmm. need to be comparably fast at least. That's my concern. But maybe they'll get there. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's an interest. I, both of those points are really awesome. And I was just thinking uh, maybe actually does align with them still having backwards compatibility, even if they're ARM64, because as far as I understand it, the reason why Microsoft can do its, um, what is that name of that thing where you can like minimize the game, turn off the Xbox and bring it back up and you can do it for multiple games. Quick resume. Quick resume. Uh, from what I understand, the reason why quick resume exists and you can do this with multiple games at the same time is because each game exists in like a virtual machine of like a console like itself and so you can just bring up these games of any you know power pc or the original xbox 360 or the original xbox and it can just run them flat out 
without any issues. And I think that's part of the design is to be slightly more abstracted from Sony than the hardware uh, is. Uh, and that gives them that little edge to do those weird things, those smart resume or whatever it's called. So maybe that can play it into it a little bit too to allow something like backwards compatibility. But like Oliver said, though, there's got to be the performance there to make it worthwhile. Um, or maybe I saw someone suggest in a comment somewhere, it was interesting, oh, the next Xbox can only do backwards compatibility compatibility for Series S. And I thought that was funny. The, <laughs> that the idea great, that you yeah. have like 720p, 720p games in 2028. Mm, okay. Yeah, interesting discussion there. And um, I think one thing to bear in mind is that um, uh, for the last generation, actually for Xbox One, there was this thing called the Fortaleza Link leak, which was, uh, again, a very similar roadmap oh, right. to what was going to happen for the Xbox consoles for Xbox One. And again, it was concept driven. They were talking about arm cores in there as well. It never really happened. It never came to pass. So I think a lot of this is going to be discussion points. I think for me, the one thing that sort of stands out is that um, there are things here that I can expect to happen that I think are good moves. Right? Obviously, they've got to make a big uh, play on machine learning. Um, but from a gaming perspective, from a gamer's perspective, I'm not seeing a vision here that excites me. You know, that's that's the thing. Um, I guess mm -hmm. that comes further along. Maybe there's different personnel involved. Maybe it's, I don't know. But um, I don't look at this hardware and think, wow, this is this is amazing. This is, this is phenomenal. It looks like a catch-up machine for what's happening in the PC space. When I honestly think Microsoft needs to be at the forefront. Um, but that's just my thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, the end of this particular topic. Right, so as I said right at the beginning of this broadcast, there's um, so many supporter questions that we got on this. Um, typically, we get about, uh, I don't know, uh, 50 to 60 to 70 questions when we put out a call for questions for each DF Direct weekly. This time, we got well over 100. Um, I'm going to round up this uh, Direct with a few questions from supporters, starting off with this one from Guy Lucero. I'm not excited about the leaked Xbox Series X refresh console, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing for Microsoft to do. If Sony can release a PlayStation 5 Pro with meaningful upgrades, in other words, a console that doesn't cost a fortune and is significantly more powerful, then is Xbox in trouble? But can Sony do it? If they can, you'd think Microsoft would follow, uh, but it doesn't sound like they plan to. I'm not sure how much we can speculate on any of this since we all we have are rumors and leaks. What do you all think? I think to begin with, we can speculate because this isn't a rumor or a leak. It's Well, it is a leak, but it's a massive one, uh, which basically gives us, um, you know, a freeze frame in time of what Microsoft are actually thinking of whenever this document was created. Oliver, what do you think about this concept of a PlayStation 5 Pro coming along with meaningful upgrades and Microsoft just sits where it is? Um, yeah, thoughts? Well, let, let me put it in, in, in terms of my own behavior. <laughs> when last generation started, I was mm -hmm. mostly playing on PS4 because it was more powerful than PS4 Pro. Then I switched to Xbox One X. That was my lineage. So with this, I mean, if the PS4 Pro is delivering a much better experience, or rather PS5 Pro is delivering a much better experience than Xbox, I have to imagine there's going to be a, a group of gamers who are looking at those two consoles and who are making more of the choice to, to play games on PlayStation. That would be my concern. I'd also be concerned about, like, let's say Sony is shipping a PS6, Microsoft is shipping an Xbox Five, whatever they end up calling it. 
uh, Sony then has access to these PS5 Pro titles to run it under backwards compatibility. If we assume, as I think is more likely than not to be the case, that Sony will pursue a, a more iterative model with their next console, right? Um, to ensure backwards compatibility because they have such a huge market share. So right. in terms of what I think, I think it's unfortunate that Microsoft is choosing to sit this one out because Sony is going to have the performance dominance if they do produce this console for a good four years, potentially, of this generation. So I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it personally. Mm, yeah. Thoughts, Alex? I mean, I've said my piece about PS5 Pro on our last year direct. Um, I think it, it, it does leave, if, if there is PS5 Pro, uh, it leaves Microsoft in the awkward situation where they just can talk about yeah, but we have Starfield, or yeah, we have these exclusives, which would which could be good. I mean, I, I want Microsoft to actually have meaningful games coming out on their platform instead of just holding out for three years for the next Halo Infinite debacle to happen. So if they can at least in that time period push the fact that they have interesting games coming out on their platform, then maybe that's all they really need anyway, mm -hmm. um, since they're not going to be being able to pull the power card anymore out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I don't know what to make about this. I mean, the concepts that Microsoft at least is discussing um, a cost-reduced Xbox Series X for 2024 that's still at the same great price <laughs> of $500. It suggests to me that one of the reasons they didn't do a pro console is they don't believe that they can actually make an economically viable one. Um, right. So the question is, can Sony do this? And it looks as though, you know, if they're going to be producing a console that's got 60 compute units over the 36 in the current one, it's going to be pretty pricey to make, uh, probably in the right. same way that PlayStation 4 Pro was. But it, it's interesting to me that the, the, the five Pro specs we've seen so far, they aren't talking about machine learning, to the best of my knowledge. They aren't talking about, um, uh, you know, 24 gigs of memory it's it is basically right. what the pro was which is like an investment in silicon and some you know uh tweaks elsewhere so i do think they could probably do a machine for like i don't know 5.99 that will be a meaningful improvement over um over the existing playstation question is do we need it here's the thing right i think that the uh split of um, standard versus pro consoles last generation was like 80 20 uh, so 20 percent of people bought the more uh, advanced hardware kind of suggests there's the market for it is inherently limited right what i will say though is that when you do have that hardware out there when you've got a console that is like the one x that is delivering markedly superior experiences and it just basically gives you Halo product status, which I think is kind of priceless. You know, it's the NVIDIA mm -hmm. playbook, really. You know, they they believe that by having the most powerful hardware around, even if their lower-end products aren't as powerful, the Halo effect kind of permeates down to the cheaper products. It's, it's, a, it's a great headline generator, certainly. And certainly when I think back to Xbox One X, the machine could do no wrong. And by extension, the uh, underperforming nature of the original Xbox One was was you know eclipsed, diminished. When Red Dead Redemption came out, we were talking about how the best way to play was on Xbox One X because it was by a long chalk. What we weren't really talking about is that you know the the worst way to play was on Xbox One S. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is this is really interesting sort of psychological stuff here, and I think this is maybe one of the reasons why a pro console is coming, and Sony clearly thinks it's worth it and could make some money out of it. Microsoft thinks otherwise. We'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Um, but you know, I think if they can deliver a sixty compute unit part, and it is delivering something like thirty eight level, uh, thirty eighty level horsepower. 6800 XT level horsepower. That's quite compelling, right? That's certainly a decent upgrade. And I'd just be really interested to see what the developers could do with it. Mm. Mm. Let's move on to the next question. This one from Diego Sousa. I'm assuming it's not the one for mid software. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it is. <laughs> uh, could this leak set Microsoft back months or even years regarding the launch of the new products? Could they decide to scrap this new hardware and focus on new hardware now that it's public knowledge? Oliver? I don't think the existence of the leak will make them delay any products. I think that some products that already were deep in the pipeline in terms of hardware design, like if you look at the mid-gen refresh products, I'd expect those to probably be substantially the same. Um, I mean, maybe they'll have some modifications, who knows, but those products are kind of deep in the pipeline and, and they're closer to release, right? Um, in terms of what they do for 2028 for a Gen 10 console, I think it's probably still totally up in the air. When you look at console design life cycles, I think they've probably made a lot of the key decisions around that console, but the actual work of getting AMD involved, roping them in, getting a, getting an actual uh, like die layout done, that that's still pretty far away, and presumably there are lots of things that could be changed in that process. So I would say the stuff that's closer to now, probably locked in. The stuff that's further away, Probably not, and I don't think this leak changes their plans too much. I think it's embarrassing, but I don't really think you can change things just because people know about them, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, Alex? Uh, it sucks to be Microsoft <laughs> at this point. Uh, I feel I do feel for them because you know, like any sort of project that you work on, uh, you want to show it in its best light originally when it shows out. I think the games industry is a little bit overly secretive for a lot of things, but at least not being able to control the messaging, but at least showing, trying to get people to get excited and want to play your thing rather than showing the internal adorable uh, slides <laughs> that got leaked. Yeah, you don't want to see that. I don't think it'll change. I, I'm, I'm of Oliver's opinion there about what effects might change like for current projects and future projects. Yeah, my thoughts are pretty straightforward on this. Um, the 2028 console, there's still leeway for change. Um, when we were at Microsoft campus in 2020, uh, a lot of the design um, was actually finalized in 2016. So I suspect next year is going to be the crucial one if we assume a four year development period for sort of finalizing a console. Right. Um, so maybe there's some stuff in the leaks here, which are just like the Fortaleza link, which is to say leak, which is to say, um, yeah, uh, this is what we're thinking about, but we're not sure yet. And this stuff about the new products, the new Series X, the new Series S, um, they're quite specific on those spec specification points, right? Which suggests to me that it's a done deal, which suggests to me that there's um, uh, orders made, you know, with TSMC for the new processor, orders made with the whoever's making the Wi-Fi card. And, the, <laughs> you know, the ID looks to be pretty final. You know, the product casing looks to be pretty final. So I suspect that these are the machines we're going to be getting. They can obviously make changes. They could possibly, you know, increase clocks or whatever, but I don't think they will. I don't think it would present any kind of meaningful change. 
Um, they won't be changing to silicon, that's for sure. I don't think it's it'll be a straight six nanometer um, die shrink of the seven nanometer part. Just makes sense, I think. Um, I don't think there's much they can do apart from tweak the price. I think that's kind of pretty much it. Um, so I don't think it's just because this stuff is public knowledge that they're actually going to be making profound changes. Uh, but, you know, maybe we'll be surprised. This question, the final one from Leftist Hominid. What leak is bigger, Jensen's prophecy or the Xbox FTC leak, the lawyer's prophecy? <laughs> Alex, you you basically coined the phrase Jensen's prophecy, which was based on a massive GeForce Now leak. Um, mm. What do you think? Is this one bigger or smaller? I mean, in terms of industry, this is bigger um, for sure. It has wide-reaching, you know, you know, it touches on everything that Microsoft is doing in the console space, and a little bit tangentially, I guess, on PC too. So, because there's that Bethesda part of the leak as well too which is weird. Um, but I think this this is by far bigger, even though personally for me, I thought Jensen's prophecy was just kind of like this. That was actually funnier. <laughs> this one is much more serious. I was laughing a lot about the Jensen's prophecy stuff because it was like, duh, these games exist on PC is great. Um, but this is serious. This is serious stuff. Right. Okay. Thoughts, Oliver? Which one's bigger? Well, Jensen's Prophecy certainly had a lot of games uh, that were rumored that almost all have materialized. That's certainly exciting. Uh, but this one, I think, is is bigger. I mean, you have all these exhibits, like 10 exhibits, hundreds of megabytes of information that was attached oh to a document seemingly by someone on Microsoft's side, potentially a Microsoft lawyer, accidentally not uh, removing those documents. Um and I mean, they touch on every aspect of Microsoft's business. Like there's financials in here, there's their future plans with regards to hardware. There's so many games, like in the Bethesda one they announced, or they, they, they not announced, but they, a lot of games have leaked from that yeah, as well. Effectively announced. Effectively announced. I, I, I don't know. To me, I'm, I'm racking my brain. Like obviously we've had some big leaks recently, like the GTA 6 leak. To me, this is maybe even bigger than any leak I can recall in recent history. I mean, it's just so massive so much detail to pour over mm. and so many huge implications for the future of microsoft and games yeah absolutely mm. i think it's much bigger um simply because of all of the personal emails that are in there as well you're getting an insight into the kind of mindset of the various execs at the various points i guess it was kind of necessary to communicate in that way because of the pandemic everybody would have been working from home a lot of this stuff dates from lockdown right so it's not as if you could have meetings in the microsoft campus to discuss all of this stuff so there's a lot more detail than you'd probably have expected and yeah you know maybe we'll talk about it at some point there's you know stuff like uh, Phil discussing the possibilities of acquiring Nintendo. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the other thing which is kind of um, damaging is that there's, you know, these are specific communications that have been taken out and presented uh, as evidence uh, to the to the FTC trial. Um, but a lot of it is going to be lacking context, and especially to us as journalists and to you know gamers who are reading these documents context is everything nuance all of that would just be gone you know you're just left with these these straight emails i mean alex god knows what people would make if they saw my dms to you on slack <laughs> i know <laughs> yes. i thought about it immediately like i felt for phil i was like man i post a, i crap i 
post a, a lot on this, to the Slack. I wouldn't want to see people to see my posts. I mean, Sorry, you know, if you haven't seen Lethal Weapon and you read my DMs yeah. to Alex, God knows what he would think. Of. What you would think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, exactly. uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hugely unfortunate that this has happened. Obviously, it's a goldmine for journalists and um, it's a fascinating insight to a moment in time within Microsoft. And we do have, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that is so commercially sensitive and so, um, you know, you kind of feel dirty reading it, right? You know, all of the stuff, yeah. you know, specifically about um, how uh, Microsoft are rated specific games uh, for their suitability for inclusion on Game Pass, how much money they're willing to pay or or suspect they think they'll have to pay in order to get a game onto Game Pass. I mean, $300 million for Jedi Survivor is what they thought they would have to pay. Surely that's much more than the, what the game cost to develop. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like astonishing. Uh, so there's so much stuff in there that I do think this is a much bigger leak than than Jensen's prophecy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of feel a bit icky talking about it almost, but but there it is. But yeah, so much to discuss there. And uh, we just felt we had to get a, a, a DF Direct special out to at least talk about the more technological orientated points of the leak. And well, I guess now we've got expectations in place for what to expect from all of this hardware going forward. Oh my goodness. And I just hope yeah. that we get to see something... Well, maybe if it is these existing specs that they've talked about and we get some nuance and we get some idea of the experiences that we'll actually be playing on them, we'll be a bit more excited about them. Maybe it will talk, you know, maybe it will produce a uh, sort of a change of direction, which is what Phil is suggesting has already happened in his tweet mm-hmm. and in his email to staff. Um, but obviously we'll be here to talk about it as and when it happens. Um, but that's all from us on this one. Hope you enjoyed it. Ring the bell for notifications uh df supporter program though i mean you know one of the reasons we did this was to basically uh, get the input of our supporters and that's really really important to us uh, bonus materials early access all of that jazz uh, but that's all there is for us to talk about on this one for now thanks for watching